do you need surgery for full thickness rotator cuff tear? Boom. I'm Dan from Fitness Pain Free, and this is Kevin Coughlin. Also from Fitness Pain Free now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that sounds good. That rolls right off the tongue. Yeah. Today's topic, do you need surgery for full thickness rotator cuff tear? And the study we're looking at today is called Conservative versus Surgical Management for Patients with Rotator Cuff Tears. A systematic review and meta-analysis by Longo et al. in 2021. Did you read this, Kevin? Ooh, I did read this. Yes. To prepare oh, good for thing. I did yep. not. <laughs> just kidding. I read it. Let's just wing it. Yep. Let's wing it. All right. We'll get into this. So I think first we're going to open this up with a little bit of a discussion because I think that, you know, as a, a new physical therapist, I didn't have this information, right? And I talk about it a lot with students at Champion. I know you do as well. Um, it's a little confusing. And right now we have a very hopeful message going on here in terms of like, there's a lot of asymptomatic pathology and that's fine. It's all normal. Right. But there's some people who have symptomatic pathology and rotator cuff tears are a thing. And sometimes they get bad and sometimes you need surgery. So it's kind of like, all right, everyone has a rotator cuff tear. Then the patient that comes in has rotator cuff tear. That shouldn't matter. Right. It's normal person. Mm -hmm. And I think that two things for one, it invalidates the patient's like feelings <laughs> like, Hey man, my shoulder hurts. Oh, who cares? Everyone has a rotator cuff tear. Right. So you do end up kind of annoying patients. I think from that perspective, the other thing is that it's actually relatively rare to have a full thickness rotator cuff tear over the course of your life. Having a partial thickness rotator cuff tear is actually very, very common, right? Um, and largely folks are not getting rotator cuff tears until they're in their forties and fifties, unless you're an athlete. Right. And then, then you're getting like eight years old. There's like partial thickness, rotator cuff tears and throwers. Right. It's absolutely crazy. Um, but if you're getting rotator cuff tearing in your twenties, that's not common to go along with this video. I have a free cheat sheet for you. It is an evidence-based cheat sheet for rotator cuff related pain. I'll give you all the knowledge to go from a beginner to a master understanding rotator cuff related pathology. We go over the prevalence of these conditions, as well as the anatomy. We talk about the difference between tendonitis and tendinosis. We chat about risk factors, increase your likelihood of getting rotator cuff tendinopathy and tears. We talk about the clinical presentation of this disorder and also which tendons are most commonly involved. We talk about the different stages of pathology and whether or not the rotator cuff tear heals over the course of time. Next, I give you the bullet points about rehabilitation expectations. We round out the PDF with some surgical guidelines which your patients should go on to get surgery for rotator cuff tears. So I'm going to leave a link in the description, in the show notes. Again, this is 100% free. Go ahead and download this right now. If you're 80 and you don't have a rotator cuff tear, obviously that's uncommon, right? I think it's like around 80% of folks will have rotator cuff tear before they die. But the rates of, of the full thicknesses are actually going to be a lot less, right? <clears throat> so there's this idea that if you have a partial thickness rotator cuff tear, and yeah, you want to go just do conservative physical therapy, whatever it is. Don't jump into surgery right away. Although in some folks, maybe they do end up getting surgery for partials, but it's a little bit more rare. But once you get into the world of full thickness rotator cuff tears, we start thinking, uh, maybe we should start thinking about getting this thing repaired. Um, and there's a variety of reasons for this, right? One of the things I think is important uh, to keep in mind as a clinician is a difference between a full thickness and a partial thickness, right? And I think this really helps to educate your patients about this. I'm gonna try to basically make a rotator cuff onto my hand here. 
So let's say it's my glenoid, right? So I got my humerus right here. It comes on my glenoid. And the rotator cuff tendon comes across and attaches right through here. <clears throat> so essentially, if I have a partial thickness rotator cuff tear, that means that I have a portion of my tendon that is torn, right? But it's not torn all the way through. And once I get a full thickness rotator cuff tear, I have a portion of that tendon starts to tear off. So maybe that starts with like 25% and then 50% and then 75%. And if it's like completely torn, then it's all the way off, right? But you can have a full thickness cuff tear and it's still attached. And what that means is that it's still freaking strong, right? Especially if like the large majority of it's still attached on there. Once it completely pulls off, then it becomes an issue, right? And the other part is if it starts to retract, so it gets further and further away from that glenoid, that's a worse and worse tear. And the problem is that the larger the cuff tear is, the faster it will progress over the course of time. Generally, the more disability and pain someone has, so at least in the rotator cuff tear, the worse the pain is, right, on imaging, or excuse me, the worse the tear is on imaging, usually the worse your pain is from a patient perspective. And that's kind of the opposite of what you may hear in the social media landscape, just largely that cuff tears are asymptomatic, all of them. It's not really true. The larger the cuff tear is, the increased likelihood that thing hurts, right? So that's a problem. And if you have a fully re retracted tear, if it's retracted a lot and it's been retracted for a while, from a surgical standpoint, either A, you can't repair it, get cemented back here, and the surgeon can't pull it back, or it takes a very skilled surgeon in order to do that. But also the retail rates get worse and worse and worse, the worse the cuff tear is. Um, the other thing we know is that the majority of cuff tears progress over the course of time. So then it becomes this idea of like, do I get my rotator cuff repaired in order to improve my long-term outcome? How long should I wait, right? Do I wait at all? Should I try conservative treatment? Um, and luckily we have a few studies to help kind of guide our uh, reasoning right before i get into that i just spoke a lot kevin what are your thoughts on everything here so far yeah this is probably something i was guilty of when i first started treating and you know pretty active following people on social media um is really you know being in that camp of uh rotator cuff tears or like gray hair um over time we're all going to get them and they're probably not something we need to worry about but you know, it is a little more nuanced than that. And that's something I've been lucky to learn from working with you guys at Champion. Um, you know, this totally is like a, it depends situation. And you're going to get into all that right in this podcast. But uh, there are a lot of factors that are going to determine if you should get it repaired. Um, what was the nature of the, the mechanism of injury, right? That's going to play a role. Um, you know, how old's the person? I think that's going to play a role. Uh, what size is the tear? That's going to play a role as well. So uh, these are things that we need good answers for so we can make the best clinical decisions with our patients. Um, because, you know, I think the last thing I'd want, something I'd be fearful of as a clinician is brushing it off and telling the person that, you know, this is normal. You're in your 50s. You have a rotator cuff tear. Um, let's just try PT for a while and don't bother consulting a surgeon. And then months and months or years down the road, their shoulder has progressively worsened. And I tried to do what I thought was best for the person, but because I didn't have the best information from the fitness pain-free podcast, Whoa. I uh, I didn't make the right clinical decision. And that person's long-term shoulder health uh, is suffering. So there's a lot to it. And I think one thing that you'll probably talk about is, you know, establishing a good relationship with a local surgeon. And, you know, sometimes I think what I'll do is, 
I'll have these patients just consult a surgeon and, and get some baseline information. And, you know, the surgeon will say, Hey, you know, you are 40 years old and you fell on ice. And I think this is something we no brainer need to go ahead and repair. Right. So, um, you don't have to make the decision totally by yourself, but, um, yeah, there's a lot to it. So I, I think the, the kind of going down that avenue of saying it's normal, um, it's common, but I don't know if it's normal. And we want to be careful about, um, like you said, just dismissing the patient's fear, you know, that they have this issue. And you know, sometimes, you know, I think it's okay to reassure and start exercising, but sometimes we want to make sure we have all the information. So we're, we're making the best choice possible for the patient. Yeah, I totally agree. You said a lot there. Hopefully we get to all those things there. Right. But you know, one importance of a good surgeon and you have to be cautious too, because some surgeons, they like to cut quick, right? Don't always give the patient the right information. So yeah, having a good surgeon you trust is important. And the other thing is like, you don't have to make this decision alone, right? You can talk to the surgeon, talk to the patient, give them the research, right? So if you have this information, you can tell the patient and they can make an informed decision, which at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do, right? We're not trying to tell patients that they need to do this, they need to do that. I mean, they're allowed to make their own decisions. I feel like sometimes you know, with physical therapists, well, surgeons, you go to them and they're like, this is the way, you know what I mean? It's like, well, you have any choices here? Like, what? <laughs> it's like, totally am I allowed right. to make a decision here? Right. So. It's a risk reward ratio, right? The patient, if they have all the information, it's their decision, but it's our, it's our job to provide them that information. Yeah, for sure. And I think I hit on some of these, right. But from a surgical outcome perspective, what I will say is that if you have a small to moderate size, full thickness, cuff tear, the outcomes after surgery are pretty good. Um, a lot of folks are just so fearful of surgery and I get it. Like no one wants to get a surgery. It's a huge pain in the butt, but these tend to do well. It's kind of like, well, if you get this surgery, chances are you'll do well. And I think patients are always like, oh, my uncle Larry, he's had a rotator cuff repair. Now he can't even use his arm. His arm is dead. They killed it during the surgery. I'll never get surgery. And it's like, well, freaking uncle Larry is like the worst patient of all time, right? Like, <laughs> You can't like base your expectations on that. So I do think it's important just let patients know too, that like surgeons aren't evil. And then oftentimes it can be a, a really good option for you. Right. Um, and then, like I said before, let larger and massive rotator cuff tears don't have as good as an outcome. Um, and what I mean by that, so generally a little bit more pain, a little bit less function, and they have a higher retear rate. And it really depends on the size of the tear, but retear rates, you've never heard this before. And this is funny, like one of the most popular videos I've ever made on YouTube is when do rotator cuff tears fail after surgical repair? And I meant it to be an educational thing, but it's like basically patients go on YouTube and they're freaked out after their <laughs> surgery yeah. and they go on there and they listen to that. That'd probably freak them out more, right? Right. Um, but there's a higher retear rate, the worse the tear is, right? Up to up 94% of some studies with these large, massive tears retear. And what's kind of unfair is that when a cuff tear re-tears, it doesn't always fully tear to the same degree that it was prior to surgery. Sometimes it's a partial tear. So that's not really fair, right? And the other piece that's really cool is that even if you had a re-tear, your outcome is usually pretty good, meaning your pain goes down and your function improves anyway, which is kind of crazy, right? But I think from a long-term health perspective, we really want that thing to reattach because I don't want that thing to continue progressing over the course of time. If re-tears after surgery, it's going to keep going most likely, right? So... The question becomes, can we rehab these conservatively? And after that, should we? And I think the answer to that is a big old yup. And 
like from rotator cuff tendinopathy, so let's say you have no tear, you just have some tendinosis tendinopathy, up to partials, to full thickness, to massive, to fully retracted, we know the physical therapy works for all of those tears, right? But I think like we were just talking about, is this the best long-term outcome for a patient's, right? Five, 10, 15 years down the line, should we have had a rotator cuff repair? So we look to studies like this one and try to figure that out, right? So the study was called conservative versus surgery for large full thickness rotator cuff tears. It actually wasn't called that, but that was like the, the uh, study name <laughs> in a nutshell. And basically it was a meta-analysis, had six different out or articles combined together of patients. And he looked at outcomes. So the, basically the only outcome that was consistent across all those studies was a constant and Murley score, right? You use that with your patients. Oh yeah. That's the only one I use. Score. Yep. I've never used that one personally, you know? Um, but yeah, that's the one that was consistent across all those studies. Yeah, um, no, the other thing never, what's oh, that? Sorry. I was going to say, I'd never even heard of it until um, we did this paper. Right. But looks like it measures like pain and function in a bunch of different scenarios. Yeah. I think it seems like a pretty decent outcome measure, right. Um, for the average person. Um, and basically they're looking at the constant Murray score as well as VAS. So how much pain you have. And the outcomes were at the one-year and two-year follow-up. And they also looked at retear rates. So how many of these were retearing over the course of one or two years, right? And drum roll, please. Kevin, what were the results? Boom. Boom. So at the one and two-year follow-up, there's no difference between group groups in the constant and Murley score. What do you think of that, Kevin? Mm, fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I think... I think it goes into, you know, a lot of the stuff you were talking about where so much of it is dependent on a specific patient, right? And these big studies that group them all together, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to figure out if your specific patient is going to be like the average person in this group. But I think it gives us some confidence that, you know, if we do have uh, someone who we're going to try to rehab conservatively, uh, if time isn't an issue and this isn't something that was acutely just happened and, and they're going to go do surgery, um, we could try physical therapy. And if they're responding well, maybe we can have confidence that we made the right decision in, in conservative management. Um, and if they're not responding well, maybe they could still go get surgery, um, you know, and, and they might end up doing better then. And so if it's the patient's preference to avoid surgery, we can tell them that, you know, your outcome might be the same, you know, so this might be a good decision for you. Let's try it and see where you're at in a couple months. Yeah, I think that's entirely reasonable, right? And we'll get into like how fast rotator cuff tears progress and whether or not we can even predict if they are progressing over the course of time. But it, that's, that's a really hopeful thing to hear, right? <clears throat> Basically, like at the one and two year mark, the outcome from an outcome measure perspective, the function is the same, right? Pretty dang cool if you get surgery versus just treated conservatively. What I will say is that, and I don't know, maybe you saw this, but I couldn't figure out whether those patients actually got physical therapy, right, in those groups. And I think I would probably have to go back and look at the original papers, which I didn't. But um, would those outcomes be a little bit better if they actually perform physical therapy, right? Because they, from a pain... Go ahead. Yeah, they did, but they didn't include um, what exercises they were performing. They they gave general recommendations for like scapular strengthening and, and rotator cuff strengthening, but there was no uh, there were no details. And I even went into some of the actual 
studies that they included in this. And, and similarly, those studies didn't have specific exercise programs. So that is hard to say, you know, exactly what they were doing. Um, and I think like a lot of the studies, when they try to standardize the treatment, we don't see um, what a lot of us that are very into strength and conditioning uh, would consider a good strength and conditioning program. Um, but in this specific study, there were there weren't the details given for that. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know as well. Um, because pain at the one-year follow-up was actually in favor of the surgical group, right? And I always think looking at these numbers is important just because it's statistically significant, but the difference is not huge, right? So in the surgical group, the average pain was 1.4 on like a zero to 10 scale. And in the cert or the non-surgical group, it was 2.4, right? There's literally like one point higher, which is significant, but how significant, right? So it was a little bit better for the surgical group. And at the, the two-year follow-up, um, they said they couldn't report on pain. I don't remember exactly why in the study. I just remember taking some notes, and they weren't able to compare pain at the two-year mark. <clears throat> so still a bit of a question mark. Um, the next thing they reported on was retears. And at the one-year mark, 35% of patients had a retear, right? And the information I really wanted to know they didn't provide was what was the tear progression for the non-surgical group? that's really what we want to know, right? Are these things tearing over the course of time? Does getting the surgery reduce the likelihood that we have tear progression? Because if 35% of people are re-tearing, right, but only 35% of patients will actually progress, then like, are we doing anything by having a surgery, right? It'd be really nice to know what's kind of going on in both of these groups, but unfortunately we didn't get that. If you guys like what you're learning about so far, then the next logical step is to sign up for the fitness pain-free mini course. I've made an absolutely free mini course and we go over four vital lessons for coaches and clinicians. The first lesson goes over how traditional schooling has failed us. Now I'm actually a really big fan of education and I think that physical therapy school actually prepared me pretty well to work with the average person. However, I really didn't learn how to work with the population that I want which is people in the strength and fitness world. So I'm talking about powerlifting, bodybuilding, Olympic weightlifting, sport of fitness, and really people that just love working hard in the gym. And really my goal with the mini course is to help you understand how you work with this population to get them out of pain and keep them training. The next lesson is seven reasons why people get hurt in the gym. So it's vitally important they understand the injury mechanisms or why people get hurt in the gym. If we don't understand why folks are getting hurt in the gym, it's going to be very hard to rehabilitate those folks because let's say we do get them better, they go right back in the gym and get hurt in the same exact way they hurt before. The other piece is if we want to keep these folks safe for the long haul, we have to understand the main reason why these folks get hurt in the first place so we can keep them in the gym training as safe as possible and minimize that risk of future injury. Next, we go over four simple steps for getting your clients out of pain. Now, Rehab can be very complicated. There's a lot of systems out there that make it very challenging to figure out how to work with your patients. However, it really doesn't have to be that complicated. So I go over four easy steps you can follow to get your patients out of pain and back in the gym where they belong. Lesson number four is how to build the career of your dreams and earn the respect of your community. Let's face it. The reason why you take these educational courses is obviously so you can learn a little bit more, but really the deep seated reason is because you want to have the respect of your community. You want your clients to come in, work with you and say, wow, Joe was great. He did a phenomenal job with me. 
tell their friends and their friends come to see you. And after a while, you're very valued and respected within your community. So I'm going to teach you how to do that. Second piece is that if you know these skills, it doesn't always mean you have a ton of patience going through the door so you can work with the population you want to work with, right? So you may be the absolute best coach in the world, but no one wants to come and see you because they don't know who you are and they don't know how good you actually are. So we'll teach you how to get the patients through the door that you want to work with. And lastly, we'll talk a little bit about the fitness pain-free certification. This is the largest and most comprehensive educational course that I offer, but more on this later. So I'll leave a link in the description, in the show notes. Again, it's 100% free, really easy to download. Go ahead and do that right now. And now back to your learning. However, Kevin, boom, I have another study. It's funny how often I talk about this study, the Moose Mayer study. So what the heck happens at five years, 10 years, 15 years? Because that's really the reason why I would consider getting a rotator cuff repair. Just because at the one-year mark, uh, seems like the outcome's the same. I, you know, it doesn't tell me much. What about 5, 10, 15 years? Uh, that would potentially make sense. So Moose Mayer et al., 2019. I'm hoping they're going to follow up again this year at the 15-year follow-up to see what's going on. Um, this study is called, at a 10-year follow-up, 10 repair is superior to physiotherapy in the treatment of small and medium-sized rotator cuff tears. These were full thickness cuff tears. This study was included in the original study we were talking about in that meta-analysis. Basically, they're looking at longer-term follow-up, 10 years out. And what they found was the surgical group was superior to the non-surgical group, both with pain, right, and the outcome measures that they were looking at. So the constant Merle was one of the ones they're using that in that group. Uh, they also said the surgical group outcomes remained stable. So essentially, over the course of time, if you had your rotator cuff repaired, then things stayed about the same, right? You had this continued success. And then in the conservative group, the outcomes continued to decline. So over the course of time, pain got worse, as well as outcome measures got worse, and a decent chunk of patients went on to get surgery. So 27% of patients went on to have surgery over the course of 10 years, right? So to your earlier point, kind of seems like patients are having pain. If they want to go on to get surgery, great, right? That's fine, they can. But I think the, the issue there is that will their outcome be as good because they waited longer as opposed to just getting it from the outset, like the first group seemed to do pretty well. And the other thing is like, how many years of pain do you want to be in before you get it repaired? I can't tell you how many like post-op hip replacements I've talked to. They're like, can't believe I waited so long to get this surgery, right? <clears throat> what are your thoughts on this study? I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. And, and that last point um, makes me just wonder if the conservative group there um, was progressing their tear over time in a way that was functionally meaningful. Um, one thing I was, I didn't know until you just said it, um, a few slides ago was that, that they don't always specify how they're determining a re-tear, right? So maybe it was a large tear and then they're re-tearing only a very tiny bit, but it's, it's showing up on MRI and functionally it's not making any change for the patient, right? So, um, it maybe, you know, makes me think that, managing this conservatively, it, it could go well, but it also could progress to a worse tear for pain and function versus the surgery. When we say that, you know, 16 to 94% re-tear, um, well, maybe in the long term, it it's not enough to really make their pain and function worse, right? So um, that would make me less uh, quick to say, you know, you don't need surgery. Surgery doesn't matter. You're going to be fine anyway. 
Because if we're really looking long term, like you said, is the reason why some people will decide to get a rotator cuff repair. Um, they might do better. So I'm looking forward, like you said, if they come out with a 15 year follow up and, you know, this is so hard to do and good for Moose Mayor and that group of researchers for doing that. And that's an amazing name. Um, I find the Moose Mayor. He's my man. It's so good. It might be a so, woman. You know, I'm not even sure. I'm not sure what the first name is. Let's go back and look. Yeah, let's see. Sorry, should, get that, that up. should get that right. Steph. Stephen. Yeah. All right. It's a man, so, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's a great paper. So, um, you know, the, the more long-term data we have, like you said, it's all about just having the right information to share with our patients so they can make the best decision possible for them. Um, so for yeah, sure. good paper. Yeah. One thing I, I should have mentioned earlier, um, is that in these papers where the retears occur, but they still have reduced pain and improved function, um, they'll look at isometric strength too. And the retears actually do tend to be a little bit weaker. Right. So one thing to keep in mind is that a lot of these studies are in sedentary folks. The average person is sedentary. You're not looking at volleyball players. You're not looking at weightlifters. Right. So would you have the same outcome? Would the patient be as pleased with their progress over the course of time if they had a retear, if they're trying to get back to CrossFit? Right. Um, which the average person isn't trying to, but a lot of folks I work with, they are. So they may want to get the surgical repair and hope that it actually does take more so than someone else, right? Um, you know, something to think about. Here's another study. It's basically looking at how fast do rotator cuff tears actually progress. The study is called Symptomatic Rotator Cuff Tear Progression. Conservatively treated full and partial thickness tears continue to progress. This was from Franson et al. in 2022. And their clinical question was how fast do rotator cuff tears progress? Do they actually progress? And the answer is yes. And we already talked about this, but it gives us a little bit of information about how fast these things do tend to progress if we are going to plan, let's say, for a future surgery, right? So in if they looked at all of the rotator cuff tears, both partial and thickness, 61% of rotator cuff tears progressed at the 3.2-year mark. And this was an average of 3.2 years. I think it was plus or minus two years, right? So... A little over half of these patients will have a progression of the rotator cuff tear at around three years, right? Some other stats, 74% of full thickness rotator cuff tears progressed, right? Only 42% of partial thickness rotator cuff tears progressed. And 29% of these went from partial to full, right? So essentially at the three-year mark, a little over half of these are going to progress and you're more likely to have a full thickness rotator cuff tear progress faster, which we talked about before, right? The other question that I wish we had more information to answer was what correlates with cuff progression? New onset of pain, right? Is there a specific thing that we find in imaging that's going to show that this thing is more likely to progress? We have a little bit of information. So the first one we just talked about was a full thickness rotator cuff tear. That's going to increase the likelihood of cuff progression, cuff tear progression. The other thing was subscapularis involvement. And I think the reason for this is because if you have a massive rotator cuff tear, you're going to have multiple tendons involved. So supra, infra, and subscap. So if that subscap is involved, it's probably a sign that you have a massive cuff tear or more cuff tearing, which makes sense to me. And I don't know if that's actually true, but at least in this study, they showed the subscap was involved. Also tear retraction and width. So if you have retraction, worse cuff tear, obviously. And if it's more retracted or there's more width from the bone to where the tendon has been torn to, more likely to progress. 
and then disruption of the anterior rotator cuff table, or excuse me, cable, which is kind of like the anchor point, ligamentous anchor point of the supraspinatus tendon uh, on the humeral side. So if you have these things going on with imaging, you're more likely to progress and probably progress faster, right? What do you think, man? When you hear these things, how does it make you feel on the inside? Oof, a lot of emotions, I would say. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's interesting, right? And it's it's challenging to think about how to work with that with a patient um, in mind, right? So you're working with a patient, they have a, you know, they have an MRI, they come in, they have a partial thickness rotator cuff tear. Um, you know, if, if the subscap's involved, maybe you're, you're trying to educate them that, uh, you know, this might be one that progresses a little faster and, and maybe this is something that's good to get operated on. Um, you know, I guess what I would try to do too, where you mentioned that a lot of times these re tears or, um, progression of tears might have clinical findings like increased pain or decreased strength. We don't always know, right. But if we're tracking them clinically and we do see over the course of rehab that they're worsening in pain and, and their function is getting worse, you know, maybe we can't be totally confident, but we might be able to, with this research, come to a conclusion that their tear might be progressing. And maybe after the course of, you know, we send them off a year later, they come back to us and they're like, Hey, you know, Dan, I've been working on your rehab program and my shoulders just been aching the last couple months. Things seem to be going in the wrong direction. Um, you know, maybe they are uh, making the tear a little bit worse. And then, it, you know, we'll send them off to the to the surgeon for maybe another consult and see if things have progressed. But, um, you know, I guess it, it's useful information for those specific cases that we know are probably going to progress. Maybe we get them in a little sooner. Um, but otherwise, maybe we just really do a good job at monitoring strength over time and pain over time and their reported function over time and see if we feel like there might be a progression going on. Yeah, for sure. Good points there. Um, I guess I have a few thoughts as well. We'll talk about this in a minute, but I think the, the first one is like, we're trying to save healthcare dollars, obviously, but these, I think is one of the situations where getting MRIs over the course of time is probably going to be a decent idea. Like if I knew that I had a full thickness rotator cuff tear and my pain is staying pretty stable, maybe every year or so, I'd love to get an MRI just to see how this thing is going, right? I know it's often like we're trying to keep people from getting these MRIs, but in some situations, it might be good. Uh, and it wasn't this study, obviously, but I can't remember the study where I read this. But um, so there's a few things that also correlate with potential worsening. And one of those is a new onset of pain. So if your shoulder gets kind of stable and then like two years later, you feel a new onset of pain you could have actually had a cuff tear progression at that point. Right. Um, the other one's smoking. And I think a lot of those comorbidities also. So like if you have diabetes, you have high cholesterol, right. You're a smoker, probably more likely to progress a little faster as well. Obesity, potentially one of those as well. Um, so yeah, a few things to think about. I think that naturally brings us to our next point. When do you think these folks should get surgery and when shouldn't they? What do you think, Evan? Ooh. Yeah, again, a lot going a lot going into it. Um, I think with all the all the statistics you went over, and then paying close attention to the patient and their long term goals, right? If this is a person with a um, pretty painful shoulder and a, a pretty decent sized like partial thickness or full thickness tear, and they want to get back to CrossFit and performing Olympic lifts, 
and they're younger. I mean, to me, that's like a no brainer, but there is a lot of gray area. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wrote a list of things down because this is one of the things I kind of go through the slow process for patients, you know, I think the first one is partial thickness versus full thickness. Like if someone has a partial thickness, Sarah, I'm almost never sending them back to the doctor to consider surgery unless they're making no progress whatsoever. And then in that case I will, and I've actually had a few patients where they've had success. Um, either they had a partial thickness repaired or they progressed to a part or full thickness and they had it repaired and they did quite well. Um, I think the other one is how large is this tear? Um, is it fully retracted and two thoughts, right? So if you have a retracted tear and it's large and you're, you have a patient that's like 75, right? And they're happy with their life, happy with their function. And I think that it's reasonable to just say, hey, let's just do some conservative physical therapy with this thing. But if you have a patient that's like 40, we've had a couple of them recently have like a large or massive cuff, you know, tear. And the surgeon believes there's a shot at repairing this. I'd probably repair this thing. You know what I mean? This person has another 40, 50 years of life ahead of them especially if they're fit and athletic and they want to get back to higher level stuff, like probably want to get that surgically repaired as soon as you can, because if that keeps on going, you're not going to have a shot and you probably have a, a non-functional shoulder for a while and you don't have any more surgical options at that point. You know what I mean? So uh, the other one's tissue quality. So if you have really good tissue quality, um, better likelihood of the surgery doing well, if you have terrible tissue quality, obviously not quite as good. Uh, comorbidities. We talked about that before. Uh, age, I think, is really important. We discussed why. If you have someone that has a larger full thickness cuff tear, potentially massive, there's an opportunity to repair it, and they want to be athletic, probably try to repair that. Whereas if someone's 80, they're doing all right. They just want to be able to like have a little less pain in the shoulder. Maybe just physical therapy is the way to go. I think the other one that's a big question mark I'd love to, to know a little more about, and uh, I ask this to surgeons frequently, and I know this is something that surgeons will present to patients is that what do you want to get back to are you trying to get back to crossfit powerlifting you're trying to get back to volleyball or are you just like trying to be successful putting like mugs into your cabinet for the rest of your life you know what i mean and if you have a high level athleticism you want to get back to maybe that surgery is the right choice if you can't get back athletically with basic physical therapy right so who knows any thoughts there yeah, totally. Always just comes back to patient-centered care, right? What's their end goal and where are they now? And is surgery the best option for this person or is this something we should work on over the course of time and see how it goes? Yeah, good stuff. And, and last thing, I already mentioned this, but I do recommend patients go back for some additional imaging if they have a large partial or full thickness cuff tear. I'm thinking about one gentleman in mind where he had a shrug sign right? He had rotator cuff related pain. He's very strong, right? Didn't seem like he had a, a massive cuff tear, but he had that shrug, shrug sign, which is a little interesting. Had some decent pain, went in for some imaging and he had a, uh, I think it was a large partial or, or full thickness and just treated conservatively. And then he uh, got better to the point where he didn't feel much at all. Two years later, new onset, very similar symptoms. And I actually did recommend he go see the doctor at this point. Uh, just because we want to make sure that we're not dealing with something that's a lot worse. And, you know, lo and behold, he did quite well. He got back to where he needed to be without any sort of surgery. Um, but I did want to know that he wasn't dealing with something that was a lot worse than what we were dealing with previously. So I don't think that's a bad idea, personally. Any additional thoughts on that one? No, man, I think you nailed it. All right, so now we just tease you about how good physical therapy can be for rotator cuff tears, even the full thickness ones. 
we still do need to know some good exercises to rehab, right? Well, I have a video for you. Put it right in there in the corner. You should click on that. Goes over my favorite rehab exercises for rotator cuff related pain. So we can get our athletes back to whatever they want to get back to without surgery, hopefully. See you there. And lastly, if you want to go that next step and support me further, consider subscribing to Fitness Pain-Free Insiders. So Insiders is like Netflix for physical therapists and coaches working with painful folks in the gym. You've got access to 100-plus webinars, eBooks, and courses. More recently, I've been taking all of my best content from YouTube. I've been taking out all the ads. I've been organizing it in a really step-by-step -step fashion in an entire course so you can easily go through it. And I add additional pieces to this to enhance your learning, right? So I just finished up my lateral ankle sprain course. And one of the big things I add to this was a protocol. So essentially, what do you do week one, week two, week three, week four, week five, six, seven, eight? You know me, I like working with athletes. I like working with really fit and strong people. So it's going to be a lot more robust than your typical protocol. Also, you have access to me. So inside of insiders, you can leave a comment and I'll get right back to you. I also have physical therapy CEUs inside of insiders. So if you take the course Essential Coaches Series, get a bunch of CEUs. And what's even better is you can start for just $1. After that, it's $25 per month. It's going to be the cheapest CEUs you can get. It's by far the highest value program that I offer at the cheapest price. So head over to fitnesspainfree.com, click on the programs link, and then click on Fitness Pain Free Insiders to get started. I'll also leave a link in the show notes where you can check it out.